Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. This series is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hi everybody and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast with a bit of a twist. This time we are looking at the best of the season just gone, series three of the podcast and the highlights therein. We start um, with an industry secrets episode featuring James Delves, who's head of PR and engagement at CIM, and Gemma Butler, the former marketing director at CIM, who is now chief community officer at We Are Eight. And James and Gemma were discussing the findings of the annual CIM CMO survey. Yeah, so there were three challenges that really seemed to come out of the report as in keeping CMOs up at night. The um, adoption of technology, the use of data, the importance of demonstrating the value of marketing and the effect regulations and marketing's responsibility to consumers. They were the really th- the three things that really shut out, which all the CMOs had opinions on and comments on. Which of those, Gemma, do you think is likely to be the one that's going to persist keeping them awake at night? And which do you think some of them they'll get to grips with quickly? I mean, I think they are, we're always, and it's it's no change, adapting to changes in technology and data is always going to be one that I don't think we'll ever keep up with. So we'll continue to grapple with it. I think demonstrating the value of marketing, um, I think it's we're at a really interesting sort of point whereby marketing for those brands that have, you know, maintained momentum or changed how they've done things and seen, you know, that they've been successful during the last 18 months, how they keep that momentum going and will they just switch off and forget that marketing was a real pivotal part in taking them down that road versus what does marketing have to do to keep its value and show what it can really deliver. So I think, you know, they all essentially are going to be challenges that continue because technology is not going to stop and people have short memories. And as you say, Ben, life is going to carry on, go or move forward, and the daily grind's going to kick in. And I, my only hope is we don't go back to pre-pandemic times where we'll just revert back to, to noise. Basically, 54% of marketing leaders thought there was currently too little regulation around social media. Gemma Butler, isn't that marketers asking for their job to be harder? I don't think it is. I think actually we, we need regulation, you know, how, how regulation is brought about and what it ends up being is a very different thing. But the requirement and the need to have regulation is, is a good thing. And I think marketing, um, I think there's a responsibility of for moving from the profit motive through to being, you know, more more good for society. I think, you know, marketers are taking on that role more. And that's certainly something we're driving, you know, move away from just profit, profit, profit into society and doing good for society. And we know that these issues can't be solved by businesses or government alone. Government has to work with business, business has to work with government, and we have to work with society to educate and inform and keep them safe. And I think that's a really key role that businesses are going to have to take more seriously as we move forward if they are to remain successful and in business. That was episode 42. And a few weeks later, we had a great live show with Dan White and James Farmer. Dan is 
author of the Smart Marketing book and the Soft Skills book, and James Farmer. Many of you will know he's a regular on the podcast and he's head of brand and marketing comms at CIM. I hesitate to be a sort of hackney journalist about it and call it a soft skills crisis. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we just sound like we've had a bit of a, a soft skills recession um, over the last two years or so. And James, that's got to come back at some point, hasn't it? Particularly as people are going out there, trying to get new jobs, moving forward in their career and so on and so forth. And a lot of what employers are going to be looking for is evidence of soft skills. Absolutely, yes. I think, you know, before we even sort of go into the recruitment market, I think one of the reasons why marketers have, have, have potentially neglected soft skills is because they've been so preoccupied with keeping their hard skills up to date, yeah. you know, in this fast-changing digital environment that we, you know, that we often talk about ourselves, the rest of the industry. The focus is all on, oh, I've got to keep up with PPC, SEO, whatever it might be. Yeah. And actually, that's t- taking up all of their learning time. It's <laughs> crowding it out. It's crowding it out, exactly. Yeah. Whereas actually, the soft skills um, are, you know, the, the frequency that we use soft skills demands that they should always be a focus. Yeah. You know, it's the soft skills that you use day in, day out versus, you know, how often you have to set up a PPC campaign. <laughs> I think it, it, it's going to be even harder for the next generation because you think about people who have gone to university over the last couple of years, a lot of them have spent half that time, a good year or so, working uh, and studying on their own, yeah. not having the normal um, uh, learning experience of getting to, especially in your first year, um, getting to know <laughs> people, socialising, um, that just takes it to a next level from, from what you've learned from at school and people coming into the industry right now and in, over the next year or so Will, will presumably need yeah. even more attention. Absolutely, yes. Help. Yeah, no, totally. I think there, there, there was a stat that we pulled from uh, in, in prep for this podcast from, from LinkedIn, which looked at um, uh, 89% of businesses say that a hire doesn't work out because of a lack of soft skills, Goodness which is wow. a scarily high yeah. number. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's a bit obvious to say perhaps, but actually soft skills are incredibly visible in an interview situation. Yes. You know, you, could, you can go into an interview and say, I've done loads of this, I've done loads of that, experiential-wise, yeah. but actually you can't elaborate on your soft skills because they are raw and being and obvious. obvious. And if the need for soft skills was raw and obvious, as James said, so is the need for digital skills, and we asked a little bit more about that from Daniel Rouse, who's CEO of Target Internet, and joining him was Gemma Butler. I'm just very interested to see that as we have changed our, our behaviours as consumers, and this has been a constant, have we got the tools, the abilities in place to keep on adjusting and pivoting to this? Because the other area I do a lot of stuff in is digital transformation. And, you know, we've gone through this whole thing of saying, oh, you know, digital transformation. We transformed during the pandemic. We changed how we use digital. We're suddenly all on Zoom. And it's like, that's digitization. That's not transforming. And the risk is we say, oh, things are back to normal. We need to get back to the new normal and we need to go back to business as usual. And the danger is we suddenly take our foot off the off the accelerator and realize all our customers are over here and we're here. And it's like the gap's got even bigger. So I think there's a danger in that as well, that we're just trying to get back to normal. Well, normal's gone. So it's, it needs to, and I don't like this new normal thing, but you know, it's, we need to say, where are we now? Where do we need to move forwards? And iteration is where it's at, as far as I'm concerned. It's the look at the data, interpret it, change, and just get into that cycle of constant change. And I'm always preaching, you know, transformation is not an end point. 
it's a, a new way of doing things. It's the ability to change quickly. That's really, for me, what this kind of highlights. So, Gemma, there's a bit of a kick up the backside from this report, but sometimes we need a bit of a kick up the backside. It's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I think, you know, I think the, the main thing is, is that marketing as a function has been elevated and it's really proved its value to organisations. It's, uh, it's no longer being seen as that end of funnel piece, which just advertises and sells you stuff. And, you know, for a long time, we've been saying at CIM that, you know, you need to focus on your professional development and keep that going all the time. And, and the message suddenly has got through. It's only taken a pandemic to get us there. We now just need to calm down and look at where we need to upskill and not necessarily lead our skills by what the environment's saying, but by what we want to do as marketers. Later that season, we talked about the learning load the marketers face, the burden, if you like, of learning and how to tackle it and deal with it. And we invited Molly MacArthur, who's Digital Marketing Manager at CIM, and the former Content and Engagement Manager of CIM, Ali Cook, to join us on this one. Ali now has joined Gemma at We Are Eight. I mean, it should be said that marketers are avid learners. I work for a book publisher whose name shall remain nameless, um, but... One of our best performing segments is is marketing. You know, but marketers clearly have an interest in keeping themselves ahead of the game and learning and making sure they new understand new tools and techniques and new platforms and so on and so forth. But Molly, why is it so much different in this respect? Do you think to other jobs? Why why is there this sort of pressure and need to learn and stay ahead of the game? I think because it's so fast paced, Instagram are releasing new updates every single day that change what marketers need to do. The data and privacy laws seems like they're changing every five minutes and keeping up with that is a struggle. And also the the pace of change in technology, the, the things that are available now that weren't a few years ago is, is brilliant. So we need to keep up with those technologies and make sure we're appearing in the places that we need to. Things like, I know that when I first got into marketing, um, we would never have advertised on a podcast. It just wasn't really a big thing. But now we need to make sure we're sort of in those spaces. We need the skills to make sure we can advertise in those spaces. So yeah, I think it's just only going to get harder as things go on. I think it's just sort of the snowball effect with um, technology and how things change. So it, it's a struggle. There's a lot to keep up with. It's a struggle we've got to keep up. It's probably going to get harder. But Ali Cook, you use this phrase overwhelm, overwhelming. How do we then as marketers, given what Molly's just said, that we do need to keep ahead, prevent ourselves from being overwhelmed by this sort of fireball in front of us of excessive learning? So I think it really comes down to focus. And I think that there's, as we discussed, there's so many headlines and stats out there about the skills gaps within marketing. It's about not always... Um, taking those at face value and digging a little bit deeper into how they impact you in your role. I think there's a tendency in marketing to feel that you have to be this all-rounder. You have to know everything and understand each individual part of how the whole marketing landscape works. Whilst that's helpful and knowing a little bit about everything in, within the marketing space is always going to be beneficial, there's so many different ways to do that that don't always involve going back to the classroom. And there's so much to be learned from the peers around us. There's so many more 
resources now than ever before. I think the really important thing is focusing on what's most relevant to you at the stage of the career that you're in, but also thinking about some ways to learn that maybe you wouldn't have considered before that aren't going to feel overwhelming or that you've got to start from the beginning. Actually, learning can look like whatever you want it to look like. And whilst, you know, we are CIM, we wouldn't discourage someone from taking up a qualification or going on a training course. There's so many more options now to Molly's point with the advancements in technology, so many ways to learn. So it's really about thinking about what works best for you. Of course, one of the triggers for the need to learn on an ongoing basis in marketing is because marketing itself is ever shifting, ever changing. And on this very topic, we caught up with Claire Kemsley in episode 52. Claire is Managing Director for UK and Ireland of Hayes Marketing, and she was joined by the aforementioned Gemma Butler. How, as a marketer, do you say to your own business, look, this is where I'm going to add value, this is what our customers want, this is what our customers need, and the rest of it is either noise or it's for somebody else to do? I think that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's about, this is where the, the, the skills of marketers come in around, you know, collecting that data and, and analysing it and looking at it to understand what do your customers want? What do prospective customers want? But also from the internal perspective saying, why do we exist as an organisation? Because there's so much more pressure now um, and it's only going to continue to increase around organisations delivering against, you know, the trickle bottom line. Why do I exist to serve society? And what is my role here? And I think that's why we kind of have to stop and take this breath I think marketers uh, need to be at the forefront of understanding and setting the objectives of the business. They need to be in that central strategic place because then they have this common goal or three common goals, understanding and using data with uh, with an ethical lens, understand the importance of the balanced workplace, the, the fantastic innovation and creativity you have when you have a, a really strong EDI and i um, sense of purpose, and then to, to, to your chosen subject, Gemma, sustainability. And I do think it's this common ground. We are, if they understand that the, the role they have is so connected to, to the greater good, of of the brand therefore the greater good of their customer base i do think that is where you can start Gemma, where you can really begin to build a sustainable business a sustainable team going back to the classic question of marketing which is what is a marketer is it time at last in 2022 to define what a marketer is. Is there any chance of it happening? Are we going to move away from 10 different marketers, 10 different definitions of marketing, Gemma Butler? By Christmas Eve this year, will we all be able to say collectively, in unison, what a marketer is? No, <laughs> absolutely not. You will never define what a marketer is because marketers all have different views and 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 different um sort of opinions on it will, will marketing be defined today as Gemma says absolutely not but i do think i really do think and i see that this is a moment in time as i say i say to my uh, the, the, the customers that we deal with a lot a moment in time marketing can define itself and and can change the definition of of, of, of what it does episode 58 delved into a whole new reality for marketers and came all the way from Italy, an expert Daniel 
Colliani, CEO of the Academy of International Extended Reality, which perhaps is self-explanatory in name, even if the concept is not. Every innovative technology needs a place to start, right? It needs those early adopters, those early innovators, right? But then what we, we tend to see in terms of trends and graphs is the more people that are exposed to te the technology and the more genuine uses, not just gimmicks, for example, which is one thing that has plagued the marketing industry quite rapidly from its early days of, of this technology. Once we move past that stage, we then see rapid mass adoption and then, of course, we get to see more return on investment. We're maturing with the technology and we're maturing as we start to experiment with things and we're understanding what sticks, what doesn't stick, what, what works. And then you've got this whole concept now of this, you know, the metaverse or online in interactions with people. So now we're thinking about how do we get people to interact with products and brands in yeah. virtual environments as well and, and not just buy things but actually how do we get them to interact with the the brand actually as if they were a human being or if they were a person one of the you know the holy holy grails of of being able to personify a brand and not just make it some corporate entity but actually make it someone that someone wants to work with and someone wants to interact with early adopters benefit in particular because they're looking at this with the lens of experimenting and trying things out and actually seeing what fits that what doesn't fit and the brands that are happy to experiment and try and get their hands stuck in and, and realize it's not going to be a perfect experience are the brands that are going to be ahead we then rewound slightly from extended reality to the current tech phenomenon of our times social media and we were joined by Gemma Butler and Asif Chowdhury, who is Sales and Marketing Director at Resource. And we asked them a simple question. Should all marketers use social media? It's the old trait of great networking, relationship building. The, the main benefit is now I can do it. I don't have to be, uh, you know, you don't have to reserve a chamber breakfast or a BNI breakfast meeting to meet people anymore. Digital's made it far easier to do what good networkers have always been able to do, but had to go somewhere to do it. So it's been hugely uh, uh, successful. And from a business point of view, uh, probably over 80% of our business comes through somebody seeing a post on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, it's been phenomenal. And people are talking about community building now. Eight years ago, I, I don't even think that term was a thing. I really do see a huge amount of value in, in that space uh, for meeting people, for having conversations, for finding out, you know, what people think about things. Um, and I guess for me, it's it's really about uh, spreading the word and raising awareness and educating people through the work I do and pointing them, you know, into into different areas for them to have a look at, but also introducing people and asking people what their views and recommendations are. Is you're putting yourself in the firing line both for positive acclaim and feedback but also negative and you've got to accept that it comes with the territory and if you're not happy with both of those then stay off it because if you're doing the positive stuff well you are going to attract haters um, but take that as a compliment because you are being heard and you will be heard by more positive people if that's what you're doing and that's what you're there for so there is that dilemma does what does free speech actually mean to, to you know 
you have to accept that. But there should be some regulation for people where it starts to turn into things that are going to affect people or, um, you know, from a mental health point of view or threats physically and things like that. And all this stuff does go on. But there are, uh, you know, but I think there's always going to be huge amounts of really good stuff in in social media that are going to keep people there. Sue Fennessy from We Are Eight said exactly the same thing. The technology is there to turn off the hate or to remove the people who are, you know, putting those hateful comments out. The technology is there for social media platforms to uh, validate and verify the people that are on there so they cannot be faceless and have multiple accounts where they, there's no, absolutely no way of finding out who they are. They choose not to. And last but not least, we wrapped up the season with an exciting live episode in front of a live studio audience for the first time ever for the CIM Marketing Podcast. And we were joined by two fantastic guests, Emily Stevenson, who is head of Force for Good at Innocent Drinks, famous brand, and Richard Cope from an equally famous brand, Mintel. He is senior trends consultant there. And we were asking them about sustainability and more to the point, the secrets of successful, sustainable marketing. You've got to be aware of all the unintended consequences of, for example, changing your packaging or having a quick solution. I often say sustainability might be green, but it's never black or white. Yeah. And people in this world want a you know, yes or no or good or bad. It's much more complex than that. And you need to have their attention for a certain number of seconds and minutes to really explain the complexity around the issues. If you've never had sustainability as part of your brand, how can you weave it in to your brand without taking a risk of having to, 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 to be accused of uh, being greenwashing, even if it is authentic? I think a degree of fallibility, degree of humanity is OK. I mean, I'm going to mention a very obvious brand again, but, you know, Patagonia did its Footprint Chronicles 15 years ago talking about this is the impact of our brand straight off being transparent about that so we work with a lot of um, banks who are looking at green banking products and they're very worried about the credibility factor you know yeah are we crazy to try and launch something when people are going to laugh at it out of here because we know other parts of our business are doing that but in answer to your original question i hope so because it's these big brands which have never done anything sustainable which are the ones you know your energy companies your you know your investors they're the ones who need to embrace this people people want more detail and they've got more time and social media you know let's not talk about the elephant in the room the fact that you are now as a company asked to be more transparent uh, you have to have that small print and it has to become big print yeah i think the iea said it's, it's almost 60% of the emissions reductions required for, you know, as a global society to hit net zero yeah. um, by 2050 is related, you know, at least indirectly to um, our behaviours or our choices and what we buy. So, you know, that, you know, we think consumer research is obviously important because of that. Um, so it's key. I mean, obviously, when we ask consumers themselves, ironically, they don't think it's their responsibility. They think it's primarily um, government's responsibility. And in the case of things like increasing the amount of packaging gets recycled or, or uh, workers' rights, it's companies' responsibility, chiefly. Yeah, yeah they, have a, they have a big role to play. I think for me it's a balance. It's the balance of, you know, people, planet, profit. And it sounds a bit like you're out of Miss World when you talk about these things, but it is genuinely true. And if you think of not wanting to go back to packaging, but <laughs> we do get to it, you know, the plastic packaging tax, the fact that now we have to put 30% recycled content um, in, our, in our case, in our 
in all our products. We've we've had we've been doing it for years. But the point is, there is now a market value for recycled content, and therefore the circularity, uh, the circularity, and the circular economy works in this instance because there is a reason. And yes, we want to. Uh, we are advocating. We are pushing the government to have deposit return schemes because then we can get good quality recycled content and it can the loop can loop i mean i'm personally quite excited by waste i spend a lot of time in um you know i live just opposite the ones where recycling plants i've been there a couple of times um and and actually i was just reflecting the other day that waste management systems not only aren't sexy but they are by nature dirty the factories are old it's all good you go to new factories we've just got a new factory and it's all beautiful and slick and there is i can't believe there's not more that can be done in the waste systems to make it a bit more not just sexy but just up to scratch with the high technology that we have in 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 the beginning of the chain of a product there's a lot of, there's a lot of byproducts out there in food and drink I mean, you know what's marmite that's a byproduct of the brewing industry basically you know and um you know there's, there's definitely a lot of that happening it's a lot of it happening in beers um as well as toast toast ale made out of bread waste and things like that so in food and drink it's 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 starting to happen and i don't you know those kind of things people don't have an aversion to it's all about brands finding partners for their waste and on that challenging but inspiring note we wound up the season finishing in high summer to return in September for season four. And that season will feature topics such as women's leadership, customer centricity, SEO, influencer marketing, and many, many more. And we will see you on the CIM Marketing Podcast very soon. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast.